Today we're going to take a look at a story we have turned to a number of different times, and I'm sure that the story itself will be fairly familiar to you, but I was surprised to see that it's been two years since the last time we looked at this in any, in any depth. But in Numbers chapter 16, we're going to take a look at the story of Korah as we look at faithfulness. And there are some principles there that are always good for us to be mindful of, as well as some ones that will help us in our study of faithfulness. In verse 1 of Numbers chapter 16, it says, Now Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, with Dothan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and on the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men and they rose up before Moses with some of the children of Israel 250 leaders of the congregation representatives of the congregation men of renown they gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them you make too much you take too much upon yourself for all the congregation is holy every one of them and the Lord is among them why do you exalt yourself above the assembly of the Lord now as we hit you with this question way back when we started this series on faithfulness. Most believers think and would say that they are faithful to God and faithful to His Word. But how can we really tell? Now, if you were here on Wednesdays or you tuned in on Facebook, we began a series on the book of Ezekiel. And I thought of a much better title for the first one than I that I actually put on there. I should have written on there the days of Ezekiel. You know, we got a song of the days of Elijah. Well, these are the days of Ezekiel. In those particular days, if you weren't there, I'll just give you a little rundown. In those particular days, as I was beginning to study the intro, I was actually preparing last week to get ready to, to look at the four living creatures. And as we uh, mentioned on Wednesday night, most people are familiar with Ezekiel as far as two stories are concerned. And that would be the four living creatures because they try and relate that to flying saucers in the Bible. It is not flying saucers. But somebody came up with that interpretation and gained ground and, and people think there's flying saucers in the Bible. There was not. But uh, beside that, people remember the story of the dry bones. I remember the dry bones came to life. They're about the only two stories that people really can tell you out of the book of Ezekiel. But there's much more out of this book. A lot of chapters in there. Not just those ones that pertain to those two particular stories. But if, um, but Ezekiel and Jeremiah are counterparts. They, uh, they ministered around the same time. Jeremiah began sooner than Ezekiel did, and it seems that he continued longer than Ezekiel did. But Ezekiel was taken with the captives because he was of the upper class of the, of the people of Israel, and Jeremiah was of the middle or lower class, and so he stayed behind. And they both prophesied the word of God to the children of Israel, one from Jerusalem, where the people who were left behind, and the others over in Babylonia, where the people were taken captive. But as I was beginning to do the research and the background of all this, and you have to read a lot of Jeremiah, because Jeremiah was involved in all this, there was a, there was a lot of contrary prophecies, and Jeremiah really dealt with a lot of them. And he called some of the people out, and Jeremiah particularly had a rival who uh, Jeremiah was coming out and saying, this is going to be a long time. We're going to be in captivity a long time. And somebody else came up, Hananiah, he, he rose up and he said, no, it's going to be over in two years. And everybody's going to come back. And so there was uh, 
conflict between them. And in this conflict, Jeremiah and Ezekiel had to defend themselves as being prophets, true prophets of God. They had to defend their message. They had to defend why people should even listen to them. Because one of the things that happened during the days of Ezekiel and during the days of Jeremiah is that some people were prophesying one thing by the Spirit of God, supposedly, and other people were prophesying something else. And Ezekiel and Jeremiah were some of the bolder ones who were prophesying what God had said. But there were other people who got up and said, Thus saith the Lord. And people had to decide who was right. And some people decided on the wrong side. Some people decided on the right side. When we look back on prophecy, we have a real easy time of telling who was right. But when you're going through it, you don't have as much of a, uh, an easy time. So much like today, we have people who stand up and say, this is right. And other people who stand up and say, this is right. Some people stand up and say, this person in politics is right. And other people stand up and say, this person in politics is wrong. And who do you listen to? And some people, you might be able to relate to this, got so tired of trying to figure out who was right, that they finally decided, I don't want to hear prophecy at all. I don't want to even hear the word of the Lord. And they despised all of it. And so they, Ezekiel and Jeremiah had to defend why people ought to even listen to them. Well, what's the matter? There's no real reason for this. These are the things that were going on. They had contradicting prophecies. They had divided alignments. They had false prophetic words. They had deception that was abounding. There was weariness in finding the truth. And it's very similar to what we're going through today. So don't think that what we're going through today is anything new or unique. It has occurred before. But in this, many times people, instead of being faithful to God, grow up and become faithful to themselves. A couple of examples from Scripture, just to throw out to you quickly. Ananias and Sapphira, in their faithfulness to give to the work of the Lord. Understand, that's what motivated it. Ananias and Sapphira, of course, they were the people who gave to the Lord and they passed it off as their gift was 100% of what they sold the land for when it was only a, a smaller portion. And Peter called them on that and uh, they both died. They wanted a good reputation. See, they were faithful to themselves to getting a good reputation not just faithful in what they did. In Second Peter chapter 2, we had false teachers who rose up and in their ministry to serve God by teaching the Word of God, they got off and began to teach some false things, but they wanted to be recognized. They had to have a unique word. They had to have something that would stand them out, them out amongst other people. In Acts chapter 8, we had Simon who wanted to purchase the power of God. Well, he wanted to be faithful in, instead of be doing the things he had been doing, he wanted to do the things of God. And so he asked for this power that Paul had that he might be able to, to do that. And of course, you remember Paul's response wasn't too good. Or I'm sorry, the, the response that he got, I guess uh, Peter gave it to him, wasn't uh, all, that, all that great of a response. He, he wasn't all that impressed with that. But he wanted power. He was going to be faithful to himself even though he was trying to be faithful, seemed to be faithful in switching and doing the things for God. Judas, of course, he had been faithful to Jesus all those years, following after him, but in the end he wanted to be faithful to himself and pocket some money. So here we have Korah 
And if you're wondering who Korah was, if you want to write this scripture down, it's not in your outline. You can write down Exodus chapter 6, 18 through 21, and you will find out if you read those three verses of scripture that Korah is Moses' cousin. He was a Levite. So he's related to Moses. He's a uh, cousin's. And we pick up here in verse 4. So when Moses heard it, he fell on his face and he spoke to Korah and all his company saying, Tomorrow morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy and will cause him to come near to him. That one whom he chooses, he will cause to come near to him. Do this. Take censers, Korah, and all your company. Put fire in them. Put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow. And it shall be that the man whom the Lord chooses is the Holy One. You take too much upon yourselves, you sons of Levi. Then Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi. Is it a small thing to you that God, that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to Himself and do the work of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to serve them and that He has brought you near to Himself, you and all your brethren, the sons of Levi with you. And are you seeking the priesthood also? Therefore you and all your company are gathered together against the Lord. And what is Aaron? that you complain against him. It says they perceived that Moses took on too much, thought he was better than others, exalted himself, and kept them from ministry. Of course, they they blame others. Now, you have to be careful about this because one of the things that the enemy is going to try and do to undermine your faithfulness in whatever it is that you do, one of the things he's going to try and do is to get you to devalue what you do yourself. Whatever God has called you to, He's going to get you to look at that less favorably. That is not that important. The first thing He has to do is to get you to not look upon what you do, what God has called you to do, as anything really important. He's got to get you to devalue it. Now, you won't go from valuing what you do from here all the way on down. You won't just drop it. It'll be a gradual thing. And you'll begin to to look less and less upon what you do. Well, no one cares if I do this. Have you ever said that about something that you're doing for God? Well, no one really cares that I do this. What does it matter? If I stop doing this tomorrow, everything still goes on. Nothing else changes. And see, that's, those are words from the enemy. And you're entertaining them. And you're watering them. Fertilizing them. Giving them a place to grow. And once they start to grow, other things begin to come from it. If God has called you to a ministry, whatever it is, if it's being an usher, if it's being someone who comes in and arranges the chairs, if it's someone who watches the parking lot, helps people park their cars, whatever it might be that you can despise and that you can look down upon, if God has called you to it, then He needs it. That's all there is to it. If God's called you to it, he needs what you're doing. And if God needs it, who are you to tell him that he doesn't need it? You're not God. You're not in God's position. But the enemy wants you to get there and pretty soon you'll go to a, a place of devaluing what you believe that God has called you to to eventually looking upon God less favorably. Why has God done this to me? Why hasn't God put me in this position? Now let's Sister Ethel was talking to us here this morning about the uniqueness of people. God has made each one unique. 
even if there are 45 other ushers in the church, there is no usher like you. If there were 45 people on the worship team, there is no one with the particular gifts and anointing that you have. You are unique. God made you with special qualities, special callings, and special giftings. And wherever it is that He puts you, you are there to let them flourish. Don't despise what God has called you to. This is what Moses is reminding him about. God has called you to be in service in the temple, in the, in the, in the sanctuary, in the place of worship and sacrifice. God has called you. God has put you in this unique position. And you're going to despise it? You're going to say, well, anybody can do this. No, God has called you to be unique in what you do. Don't despise it. Now, it doesn't just stop with you despising what it is that God has called you to. That's where it starts. But after you start despising, looking down upon whatever it is that God has called you to do, you begin to look upon what other people have done in a way that I want to do what they do. Just like Korah said, I want to do what Moses does. I want to do what Aaron does. I want to do what the high priest does. I'm tired of this role. This isn't important. Anybody can do this. I want that role. How is it that I don't get to have that role? There's Moses and Aaron. They're cousins of mine. How is it that they have this high role and I have nothing? Because he despised what they have. I put this in your outline. I've given this to you a number of times before. It's always worth giving it to you again. To envy what others have is to despise what we have been given. To envy what others have is to despise what we have been given. You cannot begin to look upon another person's giftings with a place of envy in it without looking down upon what God has given you and despising it. Why has God given me just this when He's given other people all of this? Don't ever despise what God has given you. There's going to be all kinds of reasons. You're going to find all kinds of of people who um, who will tell you no reason. You're just not important. People will come over and they will remind you how unimportant you are. Right? You put your all out into something. Did it? You did your very best. And people just, well, yeah, okay. And you're thinking, wait a minute. <laughs> I gave it, I gave that everything I had. And you say, eh, that was nice. Appreciate you getting all that done. No, don't, don't be doing that. Don't envy what others, what others have. Don't despise what you have been given. But understand the progress is Satan is going to get you to despise what you have. That's the first thing he's going to do. Just to, first, just to look down upon it. What I'm doing is not that important. Why should I put all of this into what I'm doing? Why should I do that? It's not that, it's not that important. We're being just, just to, just to let it go. Don't do it. Don't do it. 
you will miss out on opportunities. I think I've shared this story with you a time or two before, maybe not too often, but um, I look back on some of my history and on things, and one of the most fun days I had at work. How many people have had fun days at work? I hope all of you have. One of the most fun days I had at work looked like it was going to be the worst day of work in history. It looked bad. And um, I remember that day. It was over at Ken's Pizza. I told you I you know, loved the place Ken's Pizza. loved working there. But it didn't start off all that well. And I told you that, that story too. Well, one of those days, and when it didn't start off all that well, I was already, I was moving up in the, in the organization there. I was already taking on some responsibilities. But this is under the old manager who got fired for dealing drugs. This is before any of the changes came in and I was still going through contemplating. Maybe I ought to just give up and get out of here and leave school and all that sort of stuff. All those were going through. We had this one particular day. I was not there more than a month or two. I don't, I don't, I, I don't remember exactly how long it was, but it was not very long that I had been there. And, um, I was on a day shift. We apparently had a day off from school and they needed, uh, people. So I volunteered and said, look, I'm not going to school. I can come on over. I'll run the, I'll work the day shift for you. And so I came in on a day shift and we, you know, we did all the prep and we did all the things we had to do. And it seemed like everybody else must, must have been off from something too, because everybody t- converged on Ken's Pizza that day. And we had so many people who came out to have lunch at our restaurant. We weren't staffed for it. We were totally overwhelmed. We barely made it through keeping, it's a buffet. We did a buffet. And so it wasn't so much that you had orders to do, but you had to keep getting food ready and putting it out in the buffet. Because if you don't have food out in the buffet, people, how many of y'all know? If food's not out in the buffet, you get mad. So we're cooking pizzas, trying to keep the pizzas out there. The waitresses are putting salads out there, trying to keep all that stuff going on. We're just trying to keep things happening on the buffet. And we just tried to ignore everything else. And so one of the things that got ignored was dishes. And we, you know, we have a good supply of dishes, so we just tried to rely on that supply and get through. And as we used up all the dishes, then we just kind of washed what we had to to get them ready to, to get them out there. Somehow, somehow we made it through. We were just didn't have the staff. I don't know if we lost, if we were missing people on the staff that day. We may have been. I don't remember that part. But I just remember that we were looking around and the place was a mess. Tables hadn't been bussed. Things had to be cleaned up. The... um uh, uh, dishes they were piled up in the back they all had to be done and at this point everybody else had gone home and we were down to one waitress who you heard me talk about before Chris she's a fantastic worker she was the, of all the people to have in that restaurant that day she was the lady to have and so she was she was fantastic there was me who's only been there for about a month or two and a rookie brand new brand spanking rookie I don't think he'd been there a week that was the staff. And then we had the manager who deal drugs out in the back and, and, uh, you know, he got fired. <laughs> that was a, that was it. So, uh, he turned to us after the, after the lunch rest was over and he, he saw the, the mess that we were in. He's the manager. He is the guy who oversees the entire, everything comes to him. He turned around and he looked and says, man, I hate to do this to you, but I have to go. <laughs> he left. <laughs> he left. So now I'm here. With, uh, with, with Chris, the, the waitress who's got many years of experience and a rookie. Now, how many of you know that's, that's not a making for a really good day? Because we still had the prep to do for the evening. 
We had the, she had prep to do for the salad bar. I had prep to do for the dough. We had prep to do all over. You had uh, prep to do for the deep dishes and the uh, uh, cutting up vegetables and, and just all kinds of stuff had to be done. If that wasn't bad enough, Laprino was coming in that day. Now, that was a big word for us because on the Laprino truck was everything you needed for the entire week. Everything from boxes to meats to cheeses to dry supplies, everything came in on this semi that day. So beside all the cleanup, all the day prep, on the night prep you had to do, you would also had to bring in all of the supplies and rotate it and get it all, all ready. So this is what we're left with. <laughs> now how many of y'all know that could be a bad day? That could be a bad, I don't know if it did or not, but it, I could surely see that it fueled my desire. I want to go, I want to go back home. I want to get out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. There's no reason to be out here at all. Just, uh, just going out. So, um, uh, Chris and I, you know, rookie, he's, he's not, he's good for nothing. <laughs> and it's not that he was not a good guy. He just doesn't know anything that's going on. So Chris came up and we, we made, we mapped out a strategy. And Chris said, look, I can handle the ovens. I can handle the make table. I can handle the phones. I can handle the people that come in. I will do all the orders. I will do all the ovens. I'll, I'll handle the entire front. She handled the entire front for the rest of the afternoon. Did it all. If somebody called, if somebody came in, she waited on them. She cooked the pizza. She cut their pizza. She brought it to them. She just did it all. So she said, I got this. So she handled all that. So then we took the rookie. We put him on dishes. You just wash dishes. Just get our dishes caught up and, and take care of that. And I went on back and I did prep. And while we're, while we're prepping, while we're doing the dough mixing, I'm over there in the, in the, the walk-in, moving all the cheese, the old cheese out, getting it ready for the new cheese to come in. That's not how you normally do it, but we're trying to <laughs> cut corners. So we did that. We had everything all ready to go. Laprino comes in. I'm the only one to receive Laprino. Because the other guy, he's washing dishes, she's washing the front. So I'm hauling all the stuff off of the, the, the semi. And it's, and instead of making a pile, we're just taking it right into the, the cooler, stocking it in there. It's all rotated, put the new stuff back in. Got Laprino brought in. We got the day prep made. We got the dishes caught up. She took care of all the stuff in the front. And then by the time the manager came in at 4.30, I was mopping up the, the floor. We were all done. And he turns to me and says, what, did Laprino not come in today? I said, no, it came in. And that was it. That was it. <laughs> we knocked ourselves out. <laughs> we, we, we did what probably took a staff of six people to do with three people, one being a rookie. And we knocked it all out and we got it done and we got, we got that. Now, you could, you could understand, you might want to, you want to get a little bit more. This is the guy who's getting paid four or five times what everybody else is getting paid. And he left. <laughs> but I looked down uh, back upon that day and I, I get such excitement out of that. We took a hopeless situation. We took a situation that could have discouraged us and we turned it into one of the best days. One of the days I look back on and say, man, if you put your mind to it, God will help you. You can do anything. And so we, we did that. We got that done. But you can, you can see where Envy would come in. Well, I should manage this store. I'd do a better job than he's doing. But you see, that's not what you're supposed to do. What you're supposed to do is to do what you, what's in front of you. What has God given you to do? Because if I am not faithful, if you are not faithful with what God has given me to do, why is God going to promote unfaithfulness and give you something else? He won't do it. 
God will promote faithfulness. Grow in your role, not by taking someone else's. Some people want to grow by taking on what other people are doing. Taking their, don't do that. Grow in your role. Not by taking on someone else's role. Now, I put this in your outline for you. A rebellious person is in pursuit of what someone else has and feels that they are more deserving of it. That's what a rebellious person does. They pursue what someone else has because they feel I should have it. If you have that attitude building in you, just understand that's rebellion. Get rid of it. You don't need it. So Moses sets this up. He says, well, let's just have God decide this argument. And he pointed out to them that they have not highly esteemed enough what God has called them to do. Make sure you highly esteem those things. Because God has God has called you. He has called you. He's made you unique. God has given you certain abilities, certain talents, that He's going to take you, whatever it is that you do, and you're going to do it with a certain flair that no one else has. Because of because of you. Don't look down upon other people because they don't do it the way that you do. They do it the way that God had gifted them to do it. When I was in um, Tulsa, I, uh, my first year or so there, I, uh, I went to a church. I, I was mentioning this to my... Uh, we, were, we were talking about a story about this my, with my family. And my daughter mentioned, I don't think I ever knew that about you. And so I thought, well, I guess I don't mention this enough. But my first pastor, when I was in Tulsa, Oklahoma, my first pastor was um, Willie George. I mean, another word named Willie George. Yeah, he was my first pastor. And um, uh, I had him as pastor before he went on and did all the things he was doing with the children's ministries and so forth. But he was involved in children's ministries. And as a pastor, he was very unique. He had some unique properties about wonderful pastor. One of the, one, one of the great teachers in the body of Christ is Willie George. And if you've only heard him on kids, you've missed a lot. Now, he's retired now. His son took over the church. Um, but um, uh, just some wonderful teaching. If you ever go back and you want to find some teaching by Willie George, look it up. You will enjoy it. He just is really, really good. But I remember one study we were in there, and this is one of those times Willie George brought what was unique to him into the into the service and 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 made this. Uh, he was a pastor like no one no one else, and so he came in one time and he brought his puppet. He had a puppet by the name of Eugene. How many remember Eugene? Yeah, Eugene. Uh, one of the things he would do is he would pick on people, and so he had his his puppet Eugene up there in the front, and he was picking on people. And so we had um, we had people. In the, in, in the church, and he had a particular usher. He picked on an usher, I think, because he thought that, you know, he had knew this usher and the usher wouldn't get offended. And so, but this usher was very large. Very, very large. Uh, almost took up two seats, that kind of a, he was a very large, very large man. And so he, uh, he picked it up, and so he had his puppet Eugene out there, and said, he said, I know what brother, and he mentioned his, his name. He said, I know what a brother or usher, so and so, I know what his favorite hymn is. You do? What is it, Brother So-and-So's favorite hymn? He said, When the rolls are served up yonder. <laughs> now see, not everybody will get that. <laughs> you have to know an old hymn in order to do it. There's an old hymn that says, When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. <laughs> well, he changed it around to, When the rolls are served up yonder, I'll be there. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but not everybody would even, even get that. And uh, I, that, I heard that joke, I think, 40 years ago. And I still remember it. It was uh, it was good. But you see, he would bring things that were unique to to uh, Willie George into that. Now he didn't always bring puppets in, but if you ever heard Willie George teach, you will see he brings unique pr- prince, uh, properties to the way that he teaches. 
in the things that he does because he's, he's a unique person. You are unique. And God has called you because of what you have. Let him use who you are. It will be good. Well, Moses goes on here in verse 12. Moses sent to call Dothan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab. But they said, we will not come up. Is it a small thing that you have brought us up out of the land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness that you should keep acting like a prince over us? Moreover, you have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey nor given us inheritance of fields and vineyards. Will you put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. Now this is after they had refused to go into the land of, of uh, the land flowing with milk and honey. This is after that. Then Moses was very angry and said to the Lord, Do not respect their offering. I have not taken one donkey from them nor have I hurt one of them. Now verse 16, And Moses said to Korah, Tomorrow you and all your company be present before the Lord, you and they, as well as Aaron. Let each take his censer and put incense in it, and each of you bring his censer before the Lord. 250 censers, both you and Aaron, each with his censer. So every man took his censer, put fire in it, laid incense on it, and stood at the door of the tabernacle of meeting with Moses and Aaron, and Korah, and all the congregation against them at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And the glory of the Lord appeared to the congregation. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. Then they fell on their faces and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin and you be angry with all the congregation? Well, it's not exactly one man, but uh, it's not the whole congregation. So Korah accepts Moses' challenge. And he thinks that having the people behind him, he may think that God would, he might attain God's approval. But that's not the case. Just because people approve of a certain way, or a certain prophet, or a certain word that comes out, just because there's a, a majority of people who approve of that, doesn't mean God approves of it. God makes his own choices. God decides what's right and what's wrong. Not, not a mass of people. So, God commands them to separate. It's never good when God says separate. Get away from them. That's not a good thing. Now Moses was just angry at the people. He was just angry at them. Then he drops to his knees and begins to intercede for them. So the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the, to the congregation saying, Get away from the tents of Korah, Dothan, and Abiram. Then Moses rose and went to, to Dothan and Abiram and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spoke to the congregation saying, Depart now from the tents of these wicked men. Touch nothing of theirs, lest you be consumed in all their sins. So they got away from around the tents of Korah, Dothan, Abiram. And Dothan and Abiram came out and stood at the door in the, of their tents with their wives, their sons, and their little children. And Moses said, By this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works. For I have not done them of my own will. If these men die naturally like all men, or if they are visited by the common fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates a new thing, and the earth opens up its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them, and they go down alive into the pit, then you will understand that these men have rejected the Lord. Now it came to pass as he finished speaking all these words that the ground split apart under them, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their household, all their men, with Korah and all the with all the, their goods. So they and all those with them went down alive into the pit. The earth closed over them and they perished from among the assembly. Then all of Israel who were around them fled at their cry for they said, lest the, the earth swallow us up also. 
And a fire came up from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering incense. So the one group who's in the tent, they, uh, earth opened up and swallowed them up. How many would, that would leave an impression upon you? Moses says, if we're of God, the earth's going to swallow these people up. That's a, that's a big call. And then fire comes down and, and burns these other people up with the, with the incense. So it's not going good for Korah. It's not the, not a good day for him. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, tell Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, to pick up the censers out of the blaze, for they are holy, and scatter the fire some distance away. The censers of these men who sinned against their own souls, let them be made into hammered plates as a covering for the altar, because they presented them before the Lord. Therefore, they are holy, and they shall be assigned to the children of Israel. So Eleazar, the priest, took the bronze censers, which those who were burned up had presented, and they were hammered out as a covering on the altar to be a memorial to the children of Israel that no outsider who is not a descendant of Aaron should come near to offer incense before the Lord that he might not become like Korah and his companions just as the Lord had said to him through Moses. Now a lot is missed, is not necessarily mentioned in here, but they made these, these um, censers out of bronze. And if you go back to the law, the censers are made out of gold. There was a lot of symbolism in the tabernacle and the way everything is set up. And the gold is on the inner part. The bronze is on the outer part. Because bronze represents judgment. But gold represents God. It represents the purity of what God has done. And so all inside the the Holy of Holies, everything is gold. And the Word of God often talks about pure gold. There's a purity that's there. But bronze doesn't have that. Bronze is not pure. So they use bronze on the outside. On the altar that's outside, they have bronze because this represents the judgment of God. But when you get inside the Holy of Holies, this represents the grace of God. This is where you see the finished work of what God has done. Because God has judged sin and because He has sent His Son. Right now, they're looking forward to the Son coming. We look back. But still, the Son was coming. And He was going to make that that pure gold. But they came out with bronze censers. They came out with works of judgment to do the finished product of grace. And that's one of the reasons that they were judged this way. But you see, they probably didn't have gold. Or they didn't study the law to know that the gold was supposed to be used. Or maybe they hadn't even seen a censer in use. Whatever it was, whatever the reason was that they used bronze, somehow they thought that a bronze substitute over the gold censer would be okay. And apparently it wasn't. But God said, don't let any of those things go to waste. Take those, hammer them out, and then put them on the altar. And people are going to come up and say, why are all these coverings tacked on here? Because nothing else is tacked on. Everything else is molded and and it's made to look like a finished product. Taking these things, hammering them out, and then tacking it on. Why are we doing that? Oh, well, that's the people of the sons of Korah. They came out here and they would tell the story. It was a memorial. They were supposed to remember this. Don't do it again. Don't rise up and do these particular things. But they came out with brazen or bronze censers, Aaron with gold. As we said, brass is a type of judgment. 
Now, now notice that I think I left this in your outline for you. Rebellious people seem to be drawn to the judgment side of God. Rebellious people seem to be drawn to the rebellious side of God. Submitted servants to the grace of God. Now you'll see this. You remember when you had the Pharisees? And the Pharisees caught the woman in adultery? And they brought her before Jesus? What did they want Jesus to do? We want judgment. When they uh, brought Jesus before Pilate, what did they want Pilate to do? They wanted him to judge him. When the Judaizers who would follow after Paul, what did they want to do with Paul? They wanted judgment. If you look at the people on the other side, the, the Pauls and the Jesus, they, they, they came to the side of grace. When Jesus was dealing with that woman who was caught in adultery, after he had written on the sand and whatever it is that he wrote, and the one by one they begin to leave, and he said to her, he says, where are your accusers? They've all gone. He said, neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. If you want to tell what side a person is on, look at their actions. If they're into the judgment of God, they're probably rebellious. If they're into the grace of God, they're probably submitted. Be on the submitted side. Be on the grace side. Now gold is a type of the risen Lord Jesus. It's a type of His finished work. And you'll see gold where worship consciousness was strong. Sin consciousness is, is present where the bronze was. Worship consciousness, consciousness where the gold was. Now, in order to make these sensors out of, the, when they made them out of bronze, they may not have had gold. Gold is not common. So they had to make it out of what is common. And people who elevate themselves into a position that God hasn't called them to, they have to take what is common and serve God with it. God doesn't want you to take what is common. He wants you to take what is gold. But if you don't do what God says to do, all you can do is what is common. Those things would be abilities, talents, these things that are, are just natural. Now, some people will look upon people in the body of Christ who are serving God with great talent and great ability. And they see things that they're able to do and say, oh, look at the anointing. But other people would come in who understand the anointing and they'd say, well, you know, that all sounds good. It all looks good, but there's no anointing here. And you pick up that there's no anointing. You see, the anointing comes with the gold. When God has called you to do something, He's giving you the gold for it. When the priests came and they did the census, they didn't have to go and make census. They didn't have to find materials for it. They were already made. They were handed the golden censers and go out and present the census before the Lord. They were giving it to them. They didn't have to earn it. They didn't have to deserve it. They were the high priest. High priest took the censer, golden censer, and he went out and he, he did the work. But they couldn't do that. They couldn't walk into the house of God and take the ones that were being provided. So they had to make up their own. You see, if you pursue someone else's calling, then you have to take what is common. 
And so you grab whatever it is that you can get. Bronze looks a lot like gold, but it's not gold. During the days of Solomon, Solomon had made 300 gold shields. Now, how many of you all know that you don't make 300 gold shields for war? Gold is a phenomenal material for certain things, but it's not great in battle. It's too soft. When you go into battle, you want ugly iron and steel. You want stuff that doesn't have all the beauty of gold. But he didn't bring these for for war. He brought these for show. 300 gold shields. And they would bring them out in the and some of the presentations they would do with God and some of the worship that they would do and gold shields reflecting the sun just bright. During the days of Rehoboam, the enemy came in and stole those golden shields. Remember what Rehoboam did? He made 300 bronze ones. He made what had been gold out of bronze. Now, God didn't say, make gold shields and present them before me. That was just something Solomon did. But you see, most people will substitute gold for bronze. I'll substitute what is godly for what is common. God has called you with a particular calling. You may not have discovered it. You may have discovered it. Maybe you despised it. Whatever it is, God has given you a particular calling. And He's given you some gold. In this case, some gold sensors. And when you find that calling and you take what He has given you, it's like bringing the golden shields out. The golden sensor out. It's spectacular. It's beautiful. Oh, it's good. But if you try and take somebody else's position because the enemy has caused you to despise your own, to envy someone else's, you're going to be taking bronze and put it in the place where gold was supposed to be used. God doesn't look too kindly for that. But you see, here's another side of this thing. If you take the gold that you were given for a particular service and put that down, and pick up some bronze and substitute what someone else is doing. Your gold is now sitting dormant in order for you to use bronze. Don't let God, don't do that. If God has given you something gold, then God is saying, this is spectacular. This is good. This is what I want you to use. This is what I want you to do. Now take that gold and use it. And every time that you come, be keeping in mind, I'm bringing the gold. I'm bringing the gold that God has given me. And every week that goes by, you refine that gold and make it better. You get into the service of God and you do what God has called you to do and you stay faithful with it. You stay faithful with it. Every week you put your all into it. Every week, God, what can I do? What is it that I can do? If you greet people in the church, every time you stand there and greet, you got a smile on your face. Glory to God, I get to, I get to greet people at church. And you work on bringing that gold 
I'm presenting gold before the Father. Every time that you get up on stage or your instrument or singing, I'm bringing gold. Whatever it is that you do for God, there's gold. And then there's saints. You got some gold in you. What has God called you to do? Where is your gold? Take your gold and put it to work. Make it do what God has called you to do. Now after the destruction of the rebels here, the children of Israel decided to follow in in that example. How many of you have just saw fire come down from heaven, burn people up, the ground open up, and swallow not only people but their tents, everything. We're talking in a flash. All these people are gone. How many of you would repent? Dear Lord, I'm sorry. (laughs) I was on the wrong side of this. I was thinking Moses was taking on too much himself. Man, I'm, I'm sorry. You'd repent. That would be good. But that wasn't Israel. Because if you pick up at verse 41 and keep on reading, you're going to find out that right after they get done seeing the fire come down from heaven, the ground open up and swallow people whole. They say, Moses, you've killed these people. <laughs> That's what the press would do. You know, if we had a, a Moses in, a, in alive today and he made this statement, the earth is going to open up and swallow you and then fire came down and burn up others, the press would make him the bad guy. He did it. He did it. How do they think that Moses did this? Well, of course, they had seen Moses put his rod out and the Red Sea parted. They seen Moses hit a rock and water came out. They seen some pretty powerful things. They just decided that Moses did it. Huh. So they get in rebellion again. And they're not done. If you go on to the next chapter, chapter 17, you will find out they're in rebellion again. So much so that they had to take a, the, uh, the, the rod of Aaron. And they let it bud. Put it away and they took other rods. And Aaron's is the only one that budded. And so they took that rod and they put it in the Ark of the Covenant. Keep it around forever. And it's, it, the bud stayed. If you open the Ark of the Covenant, you looked inside, there's the rod with the buds on it. They didn't die. A dead stick produced live buds and didn't die. That's amazing. And you would think that that would be enough. It's not. They continue to rebel rebel after Numbers chapter 17 as well. Just rebel, rebel, rebel. Now, popular opinion means nothing to God. It means nothing. How many of y'all getting tired of news stories talking about poll this and poll that? Well, this poll was taken and most people think that this is, this is uh, so. In fact, uh, they'd make whole news stories out of, out of nothing just by taking a poll. And then they're reporting the poll to tell you what you ought to think about the poll. Now we've got a story. It seems that most times that there's popular opinion, popular opinion is wrong. Not always. But a lot of times, he doesn't he does not value popular opinion. He values obedience. 
But here's this. Never lose sight of the value of your calling. No matter how others look at it. If everyone else looks at your calling and despises it, don't you despise it. If God has called you to do something, whatever it might be, don't despise it. Don't look upon the people that preach the Word of God or the people who lay hands on people and they get to get healed or the people who make great prophetic statements or the people who have been apostolic and started great works. Don't look at them and say, well, I'm not them. I'm no good. Don't lose sight of how great the calling is that God has called you to. God's called you to some great things. And if you don't do what God has called you to do, there's going to be some things missing. Paul, in the New Testament, he talked about things and their importance that not everybody even looked at. He said, if you serve, serve with everything you got. If you give, be liberal with it. If you encourage, encourage every opportunity you get. If you pray, if you've got a particular ministry in the area of prayer, then just put everything you've got into that prayer. Don't ever despise that prayer. Don't ever look down upon that prayer. Don't ever say, well, does it really do it any good? Don't ever do it. Whatever it is that God has called you to, He's given you some gold. If you step into someone else's role, you've got to use bronze. God doesn't like bronze where gold is supposed to be used. Do you know where your gold is? I don't know if this is exactly the thing that he was trying to to do. But do you remember something in the Exodus of Israel? In the Exodus of Israel, when they all left, they all had something in common. Do you remember what it was? Every single one of Israel had one thing in common, and they did not have it until the day they left. It was gold. On the day that they left, Egypt paid them gold. They gave them gold. They didn't give them money. They didn't give them silver. They didn't give them spices. They gave them gold. The Word of God is very clear about that. They gave them gold earrings. They gave them gold necklaces. They gave them gold. Here, take this. Every single person left with some gold. And every single person here in this room, every person who's been born again and serves God, you have been given some gold. The enemy wants you to not use your gold. He wants you to use some bronze. He wants you to take your gold and set it aside. Pick up some bronze. He wants you to envy somebody else's job. Somebody else's position. Something that someone else is called to. He wants you to envy that. He wants you to devalue what you're doing so you'll put your gold aside and to value what someone else is doing so you'll pick up some bronze so that you can do it. Because you don't have gold for that particular thing. You're going to have to make something out of bronze, out of something common. Oh, but how much better it is to do what God said to do with what God gave you to do it with. And you keep developing it. 
and you keep taking that gold and you put it in the surface. And that gold's getting better. It's getting better. It's getting better. It's getting more and more pure. Don't despise what God has done. Because you're not being judged for being faithful with what somebody else has been called to do. We're judged being faithful in what God has called me to do. Don't look at it as being, well, it's not that big of a deal. If God called you to it, it's a big deal. And understand, we've, I've mentioned this to you a number of different times. What we do down here on the earth is so small in the whole scheme of things. Sometimes we think that this is all there is. This is, this is it. And this is nothing. You're down here serving God 40, 50, 60, 70 years, 80 years, whatever it is that, that you might be down here on the earth serving God for. After you get done here, we've got a thousand year reign with Him. After the thousand years, we have an eternity a new kingdom. How is your, let's say, let's go high. Let's, how is your 100 years of service stacking up to a thousand years in eternity? See, this is not the big deal. The big show is still to come. This is the little show. God's saying, I want to see how faithful you are with what you've been given in the little show. This is the little show. This is not the whole thing. This is the little show. Be faithful in the short little bit of time that we got because after this, God says, oh, by the way, I'm going to do a thousand years. We're going to reign with him for 1,000 years. 1,000 years. And then after that, he's going to stutter all over again. And the press has been talking about global warming. Told you God's not into global warming. He's in the global melting. He will melt the atmosphere, the earth melted, start all over again. And we're told in Revelation what the new heaven and the new earth will look like. It's going to make it brand new. And what we see down here now won't be the same thing. And this, this earth will handle everybody. People want to say this earth is, is not able to handle the billions of people that are on there. They're wrong. We serve a big God and he made this earth to handle all the people who would be here because he knew how many would be here. He knew you before you were born. Be faithful with what God has given you. Don't ever look at it and say, well, it's not this. If I don't do something big for God, then I'm not going to get to do anything big for him the next... No. Be faithful with what you have given because all he's looking at is are you faithful with the gold? Or did you go after the bronze? Don't go after bronze. Stay with the gold. Would you all stand up with me? Father God, I thank you for the glory of God that is all around us. The enemy so often wants to get us to look at things that take us away from seeing your glory, seeing your greatness, seeing the gold. He wants to get us to despise what we're doing, been called to do, Envy what someone else has and try and operate in there with bronze instead of gold. But I thank you, Father, for the gold that you have given us. I won't despise it. 
I won't look down upon it. But whatever it is that you have called me to do, I will be faithful in doing that. And I'll be faithful in doing that until the day that you come. You come and tell me to do something else, do something in addition, we'll do it. But if you do, there's gold for that as well. I thank you for the gold. I thank you that we don't have to go out and make censors to be able to serve the Lord. We just take the ones that have already been made. We go into service. Your anointing provides us what we need. Give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Victor. Glory to God. Um, so nice to have us in church today and um, thank God for His word this morning. You know, God reminding us through His servant that each and every one of us is unique, you know, wonderfully and beautifully made for a purpose on the earth. And it's a good thing that we've, you know, had the reminder this morning. So sometimes I imagine if um, every day we wake up, we are all eating apples or you're every day taking oranges. I mean, you get tired of it. <laughs> you know, so we look at our God and discover that He's a God of varieties. You know, He, He loves when things are different. There is apple, there is bananas, there is orange, there is mangoes, and all of that. The same way He has made man. You know, the white, the black, the Latinos, the yellows, and everything. You know, when you read your Bible, you discover that he said there are some angels he made with eyes all around their head. And one day I was like, God, <laughs> I don't like that one. You know, but God loves it that way. I mean, angels with eyes all around their head. And we are going to see them. Hallelujah. So you are unique. God has made you specially for that purpose. So let's give thanks to God always for who he has made us. Amen. And um, today we have a wonderful praise report here. Brother Daryl is saying, um, I had an opportunity to share the laws of sowing and reaping with the people at um, Green Drop. So when they ask me, why don't you just have um, a yard sale instead of donating the this, the items I gave to them. I mean, I, when I read that, I was like, I mean, you're lucky that he came to donate this thing. Just receive it with thanks. You know, uh, but that is our God. You know, he has given us the principles of sowing. Uh, the world has a system and we have what the Lord has taught us to give. And just doing this, you're opening up your uh, channels of blessings for more things. And we thank God for that opportunity that he gave our brother. Sister Susan and mom, they are, giving thanks to God for a wonderful time um, at the family reunion. Uh, the travel went well, and um, they survived the heat, thank God. you know. And they are thanking God for um, uh, the, uh, the time they had to spend together and uh, having to pray with their cousin. Uh, we give God thanks for what he's done um, even through that trip. May God be glorified. Um, we know the weather is quite hot there, but we still give thanks to God for providing us that. 
So spend some time, share in love as before we leave the church, greet one another, and have a great week ahead of you. God bless us all. Amen.